Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 121 of the Milestone Pursuit podcast. This is of course the podcast that brings you workouts where I record myself doing a session for you to enjoy and perhaps do yourself. It's the podcast that brings you recovery rambles where I run easy around the forever beautiful but today very soggy Epping Forest and talk about something that's on my mind. And it's the podcast that brings you conversations with the elites as part of our scheme to invest in underfunded British elite marathon runners. And today, it is Thursday the 16th of November, that is what we've got. But we've got a brand new beneficiary of our scheme to introduce to you, and that is Callum Hawkins. Now Callum is obviously an athlete of some standing as we shall hear very shortly. A two-time Olympian, a two-time fourth place world championship finisher over the marathon, among many other achievements in his, in his young marathon running career. But this could actually be the fifth episode of our Being a Marathoner is Hard mini-series from 2022. Because Callum's had a tough time ever since the pandemic one injury after another and in this episode we talk a bit about what's happened, how he's dealt with it and where he is right now. So it's a good listen. We also talk a little bit about funding and he refers to the World Class Programme and that is of course the funding programme put in place by British Athletics for athletes it thinks are worthy of investment and support which he used to be on but is no longer and it really does show that in marathon running in particular that if you're not racing there's no funding or at least it's much harder to get funding and then it's much harder to make money to earn a living and to live a life where you can put the hours in to achieving qualifying times for global events and that is of course why we do what we do. It's why we've supported Josh Griffiths and Charlotte Perdue since 2017 and Natasha Cockrum since 2020. And now Callum and his brother Derek, who's also an Olympian. And on that note, we also talk a little bit about Olympic qualifying with Paris 2024 around the corner. And we talk about the qualifying time for men being two hours, eight minutes and ten seconds. But that's just the headline. There is another way to qualify, which is via your global ranking, which is a system put in place in order to incentivise people to race competitively across the year and to be rewarded for doing so. But, there's a couple of buts coming, but to qualify via that route, they don't let anybody in. You still need to have run under 2.11.30 so 
so still really at the sharp end that gets you an invite and you have to have your invite accepted by your national governing body which is British Athletics and of course British Athletics declared their policy for the World Championships in 2023 and Paris 2024 early this year and were very clear that they would not be taking full teams and only be taking people with the potential to reach finals and given that no male marathoners were selected for the World Championships in Budapest it seems extremely unlikely that any invites for the marathoners will be accepted if any invites are accepted at all across any event so it is probably 2, 8, 10 or bust and that still might not be enough to get selection because it's still discretionary but we shall see now that's enough preamble for now let's get into it I'll be back at the end with a little bit of a summary but next up it's Callum So I'd now like to welcome Callum to the podcast. So welcome, Callum. Thanks, and hi to everyone listening. And Callum, I'm going to start with a potted history of your marathon career, and then as we go through that, you can add some add some colour to it afterwards. But just to bring everyone up to speed with where you're at, I think your debut marathon was 2015, is that right? Yeah, it would be uh, late 2015. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mix up my dates sometimes. Yeah, fair enough. We all do. So that was 2.12. You then competed in Rio in the Olympics in 2016, came ninth. And actually, to be clear on that, you ran 2.11.52 in the heat of Rio. So, you know, a strong run in any condition. You then ran London World, London World Championships in 2017 and came fourth. You then backed that up in 2019 with your personal best of 2.08.14 at the London Marathon, and that which qualified you for the Doha World Championships in the September of that year, where you again came fourth in a time of 2.10.57 in the extreme heat. And all of that, so that's pre, that's 2019, all of that was pre-carbon plates. So you've managed to do that on the old-fashioned shoes. And then fast-forwarding a little bit to 2020, you're still in good shape. You ran 60.01 in February of 2020, which would have indicated a strong level of performance that would get you an even faster marathon time. But you were preparing for the Tokyo Olympics that then was cancelled by the pandemic and the pandemic has sort of coincided with the curtailing somewhat of your your marathon career to this point you ran Tokyo obviously but you didn't finish and then since then you haven't completed a marathon sorry to throw this at you um and to complete the misery you've probably never done this but if you google yourself on google obviously you'll see that the most commonly asked question about you is is Callum Hawkins still running <laughs> yeah, no, I was, uh, I, I was, I was just to do Valencia, and I was just looking at all the the when the field got announced, and I had my first. I had to get it translated from French, though, that it, it was saying that such and such as the future of marathon running in Cam, certainly the past. And that that kind of that oh, hit a bit hard. That is hard. It was just the, it was just the translation that made it worse. But mm, yeah, maybe. And you're yeah. 32 now, is that right? 32, 31, 31. Yeah. So you still got time. And that's the thing that struck me actually was I'd forgotten how young you were when you started. Yeah. Uh that was just more of a track wasn't working. The Olympics came about, you gotta take your chance while it's there. Mm. So jump on it and 
I think a lot of people think, oh, you need to do the whole track system. Sometimes you just got to take the opportunity that's there and then that allows you to become a pro. You know, some people stay in the track and then get stuck there and don't earn any money and then have to get a job. So, Yeah. And in that time, obviously, you've competed well in global events. So two fourth places, um, which is an amazing performance given the competitiveness of global marathon running, particularly, obviously, with the influence of East Africans. Yeah, I mean... Still hurts me saying two fourth places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd rather have one one medal and then like a twentieth or something. But you no, know yeah, it was good to back up and show that at least London wasn't a fluke, which I I knew it wasn't. But it's good to sort of prove that. Yeah. So, what's happened since? Talk us through what what where you've been up to now because it's obviously twenty twenty three. A few years have elapsed. It's just typical running story of once you get one injury, they all start flooding in and. Uh, I actually remember I was due to fly to New York for the, the half marathon in 20, the start of 2020. And then the night of it, the rate, the night before I was due to fly, the race got cancelled because of COVID. And then I was, but I was due to go on a, a two month training camp for the Olympics. So they said, just come out. Um, so I had to spend three days in New York and then the S hit the fan basically yeah. at that point and the world started shutting down. So I had to rush home. And then from there, just with walking around a couple of niggles, maybe due to the lack of treatment being available and me still trying to fire out over 100 miles a week. And then I got towards the end of 2019, or sorry, 2020, after it had been niggling me for a while, um, my ankle, I couldn't run on it. And then I got diagnosed with a tailless stress reaction. And then that was just, I never got, <laughs> I've, not, I've not got back since then. And then it kept getting sore. I come back, run, get sore again. And then I was told told that no, the tailus is fine. The tailus is fine. Try tried to do Tokyo Olympics. Uh, it just started hurting a bit. Just not long after halfway, actually went through halfway. Okay, a little bit off the main pack, but like twenty seconds or something. But then my ankle flared up. Took some time off. Tried to get back based on medical advice. It turned out the medical advice was was wrong. It was a bit of a procedural error with them probably doing the wrong scan. It turned out I had a bone fragment in my foot, which I didn't get sorted till January 2022. So it was probably a good two years with a, a bust up ankle mm. and not, get, not getting the right medical treatment. And do you have any idea what caused that? I, I do notoriously have uh, on the right ankle, it's, it has very limited um, movement. So I don't have much range in it anyway. And then I think. This is, again, just me trying to think and put things together. There's no evidence for it. It may possibly be yeah, running too much in carbon plate shoes, and I just kind of made the, the lack of radiant worth and just put too much loading on that part of my ankle, which ended up shearing. So, mm. Yeah, so there wasn't a one specific incident that, that caused it. It was built, built up over time, so you can't remember doing anything traumatic that, that led to it. No, it was basically after Doha. I just started getting niggling, but it wasn't too far out of what I had with the ankle. So just mob it a bit, it seemed to help. Um, I did that 60-01 and a 28 flat for 10K on, on the dodgy ankle. Mm. I think man, maybe, yeah, with COVID and not getting treatment, it just it got worse. So Yeah. And, did, and through COVID, so in the pandemic part, the lockdown part of it, when there was no racing... 
did you just keep going with the training or did you back off as you would have done if it had been an event and you'd have obviously rested for a bit after? Yeah, well, we didn't. For a long time, we had no idea what was going on. So yeah. we had to train as if the Olympics was going ahead. You know, they kind of messed about with that and didn't really, it took a while to make a certain decision. But once the decision went, yeah, he took a little bit of a break and then tried to come back. But I think we trained, with being a little bit older at the time, you still try and train as if you're 20. Yeah. Which you can get away with just training and not getting treatment as much, potentially. But we didn't do anything outside the norm. It's probably just the lack of, I usually get like a weekly massage, a little, the odd MOT from the physios and things. So it may potentially be that. And then the addition of the carbon plate shoes, we couldn't foresee that it would add extra load in that mm. area. Mm. Because you didn't run London 2020, did you? The the loop St James's Park race. No, no, we didn't. Because um, but I'd already been pre-selected for the Olympics, so we didn't see the point of of doing that. We kind of tried to work on going a bit quicker, and there was a, yeah, a couple of injuries as well during the summer of 2020 during COVID, just a, a mild Achilles tear. Yeah, just things like that. Which again was one thing that masked probably the ankle. Yeah. So a pain in one area stops you thinking about one in another. Yeah, and then it caused me to have a break, which then relieved that area. And then you're like, oh, it's, it's fine. And then it just comes back. Yeah. So you get to January 2020 and you did you have surgery then to fix the bone? Uh, tw- January 2022, yeah. I Sorry, ended up yeah. having to get some surgery to take that bone fragment completely out and then sh- sort of smooth off the bone. Yeah, it, t- t- it took a while. That one, it was a, a tough one. I had to, I think it was for like six, six weeks, I basically couldn't move much at all. I had yeah. to just sit down and do nothing. Couldn't in even a, train or anything. In a cast? No, just a boot. But I get told, I can't remember for how long exactly, but for every hour of the day, I had to be seated for 50 minutes. Wow. Which yeah. is not, not. I mean, you don't live a sedentary life, so that's hard. Yeah, that was pretty hard. I was getting, like my girlfriend was getting pretty annoyed at how, Amped up, I was getting just for the extra energy. No, I can, I can well imagine. So that's January of eight, eighteen months ago. So where, where have you got to since then? What's been going on? Just keep trying to get back on it, and again, more injuries. I tried to do Valencia at the end of twenty twenty two. Just I'd been out for so long, so I wanted a long, a long uh, training block to get all the fitness back and get where I wanted to be. But unfortunately, about four weeks. Four weeks out, maybe longer. I ended up getting a stress reaction in my femur. I came back from that, and then I think it was in April of twenty twenty three. I tore my hamstring. I had an eight centimeter tear in my hamstring, and I'd just been kind of coming back from that. Really. So that did that go suddenly? Was that one of those classic footballer ones where you just pull up all of a sudden? Uh, I had a little bit. It was a bit tight, but it was kind of moving about. So you're like, ah. Oh, potentially like nerves or something and as a runner if you stop for every niggle mm. you've got you never run and then yeah it was during the Manchester 10k I didn't even think I made it into a k and it just went yeah just went ping I had yeah. to end up hopping off to the side yeah I, I can remember pulling my hamstring when I was when I was really young I was like 10 or 11 and it's just incredible amounts of pain I mean I, that that was obviously a long time ago and the, the brain has sort of switched off from it but I remember it being really sore so obviously, you know, that that's a significant traumatic injury that's going to knock you quite hard. Yeah, it took again probably six weeks or so to get back to 
a decent level of training. Just yeah, and with everything that's kind of happened, um, I kept kind of jumping up. Oh, I need to get back to doing a marathon. I need to do a marathon. I need to do a marathon. They end up maybe cutting things a bit fine, and then you end up maybe I found that I probably didn't have the endurance base I needed. So I've had to change plans again and hopefully go for a marathon and sort of late winter, early spring next year. Yeah, so going back to where we are now, you said that you looked at the Valencia Starless because you were on that Starless when they published it. But that was yeah. a bit hasty, wasn't it? Because I think you were already considering not running that at that point. Yeah, well, I can't remember my dates. I'm terrible for dates, but it was, yeah, I booked in, I planned that for a while. So it, time-wise, it looked feasible but then I went into the Antrim half and it just it didn't go well and I was like I just don't have the aerobic base or the endurance like my sessions were going fine I was hitting the times for the 10k sort of stuff and some threshold things but I just didn't have the, the base endurance to to even get that to move forward where I needed it to be to be able to run sort of 2-8 shape so I just had to go back to basics, change things up and get off the sort of merry-go-round. I was, yeah, I was, wasn't enjoying trying to make these goals and it not going anywhere. Yeah. So talk to us about that. What what does going back to the basics look like? So, you know, you, and also as part of that, you're now thinking, like you said, it's a marathon in the late winter, early spring to ho- hopefully boost, boost your chances of Olympic selection. But let's go back to that idea of building your base again. Yeah, so I was, I'll probably tell you what was going on before Antrim, just to give you an idea of thinking. We were doing a classic 10 by a three minute sort of stuff, hitting decent times, a bit of threshold, some track work. Um, but with the recovery, I was hitting times and paces that, you would, that I was quite happy with. But then whenever it came to a race where you've got to do it continuously without recovery, I just kept like blowing up. Kind of not being able to sustain the pace and just kind of redlining. And it felt like the 10K stuff was kind of stalling. So I wasn't able to go further. So it felt like with a lack of endurance base, was kind of pulling everything down or holding everything down. That's the way I, I imagine it. Um, so it was really get back to getting the miles back up to a decent level, just doing long, sort of what we call moderate runs, which is roughly, I think it's like, 88% of marathon pace for like over an hour. I think I ended up doing maybe 92% or whatever. Right. So yeah. it's just a lot. Those kind of sessions are where I'm best at these big diesel engine yeah. things. So it's, yeah, it's just about getting, doing moderate runs and then long progressives where you're starting reasonably slow for me. It'd be like 5.30 and then going up to 4.50 and going up in 4K Go 4K blocks, so every 4K you bump it up by 15 seconds of right. a mile. So, yeah, just get big, long endurance. Yeah, so... The basics. So, yeah, although that's slightly different from what I think most people would imagine the basics to be, which is getting volume in, yeah. zone two, keeping the heart rate low, nice and st- nice and slow, actually, runs that are just helping build that base. But it's actually more than that. It's about what I'd call a steady effort. You call it moderate. Just keep yourself yeah. moving. You know, a heart rate that sits somewhere in between threshold and easy and stretch yourself a little bit that way and i i really like that idea of your range of pace and pulling pulling yourself up and below right so instead of focusing on the high effort we're actually going to improve over your overall engine by pushing it up from underneath so to speak yeah well it's 
it's a classic sort of house or pyramid analogy. If there's nothing below, it's just going to keep crumbling yeah. back down. Yes, yeah. you're not going to be able to build on it. So, you know, there's talks that they say go above and pull it is better. But I think for me, I do need a lot. But yeah, pushing it up that block below LT one depends on. I know there's tons of different systems and things. Yeah, yeah. But that if that's not strong enough to handle then nothing's going to go anywhere. Yeah. And was that your experience when you were in, at your best, that, that was the, those were the types of workouts and sessions that were really making a difference? Yeah, I think maybe not those, but I'd done a long period of that before I got to my best. So that aerobic base was huge. And it's, it's probably where my strength is, is the aerobic side of things. Once I go over threshold, it kind of, I get dwindling returns and I also fall off planet. So being able to get efficient run economy and everything and, yeah, just the kind of Lydiard idea of big miles, big 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 engine. Yeah, it makes sense because a lot of what we hear about VO2 max, for example, is everyone's got a, a limit. A well-trained athlete, athlete like yourself is going to have reached that limit a long time ago. You're not going to be able to add too much to that. So actually threshold work and running economy work is more likely to make a difference. And obviously over the marathon distance, You've got to be able to sustain a sustain a pace at a relatively high heart rate. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, you've got to be efficient in doing it. So, do you think you were rushing to get back? Yeah, pretty much. Getting yeah, almost. Even when I was cross training, I was kind of doing a bit more threshold VO two max stuff rather than. And I think I just because when when you get injured, you don't quite know how long things are going to back. You don't know what the time frame is, so. You're just looking and back and get running fast. You need to hit certain times. I need to get racing again. I need to get to that back mm-hmm. to the level I was. Rather mm-hmm. than if you're just, if everything goes well, you you do your marathon, you take a break, and then you start building back up again. You know, like it's there's a routine yeah. Yeah. where I was kind of out of the routine and probably didn't quite see because I was out for so long or on and off as well. I didn't quite see how much that big endurance. Our aerobic base had just dwindled. Yeah. Even though I was doing decent amount of hours on the bike, but it's it's slightly different when you're doing it for that long. Yeah. So after entering, which didn't go so well, you sat down with your dad, who's your coach, and just went, right, we need to do something different. Let's start again. Yeah, it was basically the afternoon after. Yeah. It's like, this is not, it's not going anywhere. I've been doing it for at least a month or two, and the times went, times in training weren't really increasing much. And then with how much I'd done of the 10K and half marathon stuff, the half marathon should have been a lot better than it was. Yeah. So you're like, clearly there's something wrong here. So we have to just go back to basics. Do yeah. what we used to do. We just build everything back up. And and who started that conversation? Was that him or did you initiate it? I think it was uh, probably me. Yeah, especially when you start getting into the championship or the marathon routine. You know, I was I was also pushing it before Antrim because I hadn't raced much. As I, like, I need a performance by the end of the year, and then when you get contracts and things, yeah. So I was basically at that point being like, "Look, I don't care if I get reduced. This is it's not going to go anywhere. If I want to be get back to where I was as soon as I can, I need to change. It just needs to change. Yeah. I, this is what I feel needs to change." So part of that was parking the contract issue in your mind, going, right, I can't worry about that now because I've got to get myself back 
to where I was or close to where I was or even better than where I was. And the only way to do that is to slow myself down and not worry about performance, which is going to impact upon contracts. So you have to park that. Yeah, pretty much my my feeling was, yeah, I could get back, run a decent time at the end of the year. But I'm just, by not doing what I need to do and getting those building blocks back, I'm just kind of lowering my ceiling of how fast I can go, mm. even in 2024. Mm. So you're kind of, you're just limiting yourself by getting on what I call the medical round. And, and plus, yeah, it was just not enjoyable. And I think I run best when I'm, got momentum and I'm enjoying things I'm just running isn't tedious I'm just going out and running and loving yeah. it yeah well I think that's true for all of us so you know we're at our best when we're training and racing or and running when everything feels good we're running well we're on a trajectory that we're comfortable with I think if we're chasing stuff we get a bit anxious if we miss a, a miss a run here and there we panic and we add more miles to the next one or whatever it is and you, that's never going to lead to a, a healthy long-term game I don't think and I think the choice you've made there is a really smart one to just go, right, let's just stop, reassess, take a breather for a minute. I mean, literally an afternoon, I imagine in the pub having a having a bit of, <laughs> bit of refreshment, should we say, and then go, right, what do we need to do differently for the long term? And the long term is 2024, but probably beyond as well, because you've got a career that's, that's still, you know, as we said earlier, you're 31, you've got loads of time yet. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully if Kipchoge's age is right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got till I'm forty then, so at yeah. least uh, he was yeah. he was thirty nine this week. Like really? Well, you see a lot of sports where I think they're going on a bit further. Not sure why that is. Most sports, but so that's the aim. I'm still feeling relatively young, so as as long as I can keep running, I don't want to get a proper job. <laughs> yeah, proper jobs are too hard. Although yeah. having having said that, I don't think you could pick a harder job than being a marathoner. Oh, it's, it's easy for me. It's easy well, for me. I just got up, got up, run an hour to two hours, maybe two and a half on a Sunday, and then go back, put my feet up. Yeah, it's funny actually because I was listening to a podcast around football the other day, and they were talking about training and stuff and how easy their life is. And they get up and they go training, have breakfast together at nine, train together from ten till twelve, then they have lunch together, and they all go home. It's like the easiest job in the world, obviously relative to the what they're paid. But they're also paid when they're uh, injured. They're paid when they're not selected mm. um, and they can make, obviously they make a fortune, whereas that's much harder for you. You know, as you, as you said, your contracts with all sponsors are on, in jeopardy when you're not racing, when you're not actually putting performances down, you're not, you know, you're not able to endorse or celebrate that brand. And so therefore it does become really hard. And also you get delisted on um, funding. So it, it gets yeah. hard. Yeah, that's another thing over the last couple of years with the lack of performances. They've said I would have liked a bit more support from them, but yeah, they've. Uh, I'm off of the WCP program, but New Balance have been great with me, um, very supportive and everything, and just told me don't worry about things, just do what you've got to do. Yeah, which is brilliant and important because they must value what you can bring because you are, you know, you're so talented. You've run a two hundred eight fourteen is your PB, the current Olympic qualifying standard is 208.10, which has been set in a world of carbon plate shoes. And the reason it's dropped so much from where it used to be is because of that. Yet you nearly ran that time without carbon plates. So you know what capability you have, as do New Balance. So get everything right. There's there's no reason why you won't be coming back. Yeah, hopefully, as long as I can run a, a little bit of a PB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the four-second one will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But um, yeah, to be fair, even if I'm not running PBs, as long as I'm enjoying it, I just love running. I love racing. And mm. I'm sure a lot of the people listening know we're all a bit sadistic as well when it comes to the marathon. Um, it's horrible at the time, but after it, it's such a great feeling when you actually get it nailed and everything goes right and you yeah. ticked all the boxes and got the the goal or whatever you were aiming to do right. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the marathon, because everyone knows it's such a brutally physical challenge. So things like people trying to run under, under three hours, if you run a 2.59, you've done it. Right? Nobody can ever take that away from you. You've run a 2.08, you've come fourth in the World Championships twice. I know you wanted better than that, but you've got fourth. Yeah. Amazing. No one can ever take those things away from you. And they should give people confidence of what they can achieve beyond that in the future as well, regardless of the difficulties that you faced in, in doing that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I love mostly about the marathon compared to other events is even at the elite level, it does become a bit more of a, a personal battle, a personal thing. Because, yeah, somebody's running out, running low, like two hours, 30 now. But when you, you can have success, from, like for me, I can have success running 2.8, running a PB, beating what I've previously done. So and I think that can go down towards the more you, the three-hour mark. Yeah, exactly. It's the same principle. Yeah. And the thing I talk to people a lot about is you just don't know your potential. You don't know where your limit is. And the, and the fun thing is trying, is trying to find out. And the same with you, right? You don't know where your limit is. You still haven't, you were still progressing before the pandemic, before injury struck. And you know you can get, probably get a bit quicker. So who knows what you could do? Yeah, I mean, even one of my two eighters classic runner i've got some excuses of why i could why why i should have went quicker on the day but yeah we all do that you never look back at what you've done and, and be proud of you. you always think well what could that how could that have been better how can i move this forward now because it just becomes normal yeah. straight away you're, like, you're a 208 runner and that becomes normal whereas prior yeah. to that it's like 208 would be lovely wouldn't it it'd be a great great performance at the time second fastest for it yeah uh third ever. fastest at the time yeah, yeah. third at the other yeah so steve jones and mo farah and then callum amazing yeah not anymore, though. We've got uh, well, a meal coming through, which is great to see. And a few guys snapping at the heels as well. So who knows what, what's yeah. going to happen. It's going to be interesting, actually, with the Olympic qualifying coming round through the late autumn into the winter and spring to see what people can lay down and whether anyone else can get under the qualifying time. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But I was, when it comes to qualifying, when I went for Rio, it was a uh, 2.14 one, it was because the carbon shoes ain't coming, and also the new format that yeah. I double, or World Athletics have put, which has lowered the time as well with the ranking system. But it was one of those times where it was tough, but it wasn't too tough. So therefore, people saw, I could do that. And I think doing things like that helps push. If you make it hard but achievable, I think you get people that's, that can step up, but yeah. you just make it ridiculous that yeah. nobody... Nobody bothers, yeah. Yeah, that is the danger, particularly on the men's side. Actually, the women's side is slightly different. But on the men's side, I think that is that is potentially a challenge to see. Uh, obviously, Emil's got the time, but we'll see who else does. Changing tack a little bit. I mean, you love running. You haven't been able to run much. How have you coped with that? Uh, I kind of just transferred it into cycling, luckily. Um, which. I'm a bit bored of it now. I want to get back running and racing. Mm-hmm. So and triathlon's but... not going to be a thing then? No, I'm not much of a swimmer. Swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, probably, I, I, get, I get too far into the cycling now. 
So my dad was complaining about that. I got too, a bit of a midlife crisis. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you started <laughs> to turn into one of those Sunday morning Lycra guys. Yeah, 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 far too into it. But um, that's kind of being able to exercise in that way. It's, I think I'm one of these people who probably always have to exercise in some, in some way to help me get through things and everything. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty good as a, as a bit of a curse and a gift, though. I'm very good at just putting things behind me with like injuries. You know, I'm just like, all right, I'll move on to the next thing. It's about getting ready for the next thing. I just, oh, it's happened. I'm gone. But then when it comes to more of the achievements, like I quite often forget I've got a bronze medal at the cross, at European cross country. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's happened. Move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's natural. I think loads of us do that. Um, I think it's about we live our lives moving forwards because we're always yeah. looking at the next thing. And in running is particularly the case. I always think with runners, we we spend a lot of our time wishing our lives away. So if you think about it, when you're in a run and it's getting hard, you go, oh, I really want this to finish now. You know, so you, yeah. you're, you're waiting for the end. As you go through a training block, you go, oh, I can't wait for my race. Can't wait to get to the yeah. race. Once that race is finished or even before that, you're planning the next one. So you're always living your life at some distance in the future. And I guess we all do that in the rest of our lives as well, to be honest, in various ways. Yeah, but it's something that does help you get through, like, yeah, the bad yeah. times. When you yeah. can just set a goal and move forward and not get too hung up on yeah, all the, the bad stuff. Yeah. And for that level, because you have been an Olympian, or you are an Olympian rather, and you've completed an Olympic race as well as not completing one, <laughs> do you feel less pressure to get the the time that you need for Paris? Or, are you still, or is there just an inner drive in you to want to be there? Uh, yeah, it's one of those things probably I'm slightly battling with a bit of, you know, for the greater good, you maybe just focus on running t- the times and not, and if Paris happens, it happens sort of thing, you know, just focus on the next one. And because you do kind of get kind of, when you get to championships, as though it's a great opportunity, but you're all, at our level, you do miss out on a lot of things. You know, at the end of the day, as a career, um, as my job. So by doing championships, you potentially lower your earnings as well. I'm always wanting to be at the, the, the big stage. I want to prove myself against the best. That's why I was, I usually try and run major marathons. If I, that's when I'm planning, I don't pick a race that I'm going to easily win. I want one that's going to push me, push me to my limits. And for me to get a result, it has to be me at my best. So, that's probably why I'm more inclined to be drawn to doing Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you love the competition. You love the racing as well as the times. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the sense you get from both Doha and London was that you were racing, you know, you were trying to get you, because you worked your way up through the field, didn't you? And both of those. Yeah. It's, it's funny, Doha, that everyone thinks it was racing genius. I was just running. <laughs> there wasn't much, there wasn't much thinking or planning. I was just running at my steady pace, knowing that this is what I could do. And they just happened to come back. Yeah. And everyone else, you know, people, so, other people blowing up along the way and help, helped you. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. knew that was a high chance with, because I knew, because it, it was like a, it was a couple of K, like 250 per K. Hmm. So it was, and I knew that I can't, I can't cover that without blowing up myself. So it's just about holding to what I could do. And I knew I'd worked through the field. I didn't quite picture that at two point 
something key that they would be back and I'd be attacking them going round the last corner. <laughs> yeah. Across all of it, actually, it shows the value of patience, which is something I talk to people about all the time to the point where I, I know that I bore them all, all the people I coach. Yeah. And you're showing that in the build back up, you know, the, the need to back off a little bit, build that big engine again, stop chasing things that are going to lead to longer term problems. But also in the racing, you know, staying with it, knowing that you what you can sustain over the long run and just staying patient rather than panicking and, and going with what everyone else is doing. Yeah, well, it's just the nature of the marathon. You're always, if you're doing the, more of a time trial when you're at that that limit. So, and with the distance, you know, just because somebody's running away from you doesn't mean they won't come back. You know, and, and in the days, as long as you can step off and say you've done your best, like I, I maximised everything I could, I didn't make any mistakes and you still get beat. What, what can you do yeah yeah and i think what's really interesting there as well is that element of racing a marathon it doesn't really happen because you're running your own race so you ran in doha the pace you knew you could sustain for the duration of the race but it turns into a race at the end because you then react to what's around you if you don't think about that for the first 20 miles the first 35k it's just that last bit where the race is actually on and when you talk to amateur athletes even high level amateur athletes that is a lot of the narrative that we use is like stay on your game for the first 20 miles 35k whatever those numbers are and then use racing at the end to partly to get you through the difficult bit of the marathon because the the end is always hard and if you've got something to focus on that isn't how hard things are then you'll perform better so race the final part yeah i mean yeah you've got to be able to get there yeah there's no point going out and uh and blowing up too early and then just not having anything, but you'll know it's in the marathon. You never know what shape you're going to be at the end. Yes, yeah. it's, it's one of those distances where, you know, like just because somebody's fast in the track doesn't mean they'll have a sprint at the end of the marathon. Yeah. So when it can be tough because the elite level, you don't really get many chances to be in a race in the last two k. So yeah. like for race practice, it's not like a ten or a five k. You can just oh, I'll go do another one two weeks later. Yeah. yeah. So you don't get much practice, so you just got to try and do the best you can at the time. Just yeah. Pick an idea and just go with it and don't doubt yourself. That I think that's absolutely right. You've just got to re- and react to the situation. You've got to see what's going on around you and, and respond rather than just let it wash past you. The one that we haven't talked about is Gold Coast, the Commonwealth Games, where you famously <laughs> crashed. I, I consciously didn't talk about that because I know that you don't want to talk about it, but I suppose there's something in there as well about you know, not knowing what things are like, how your body's really responding, and you can never be sure what the, what the marathon holds for you, even if you're reasonably confident. You can't be a hundred percent sure. Yeah, that was yeah. I'm 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 fine to talk about it. Um, it's I don't mind it too much, but uh, yeah, it was one where it just a bit it caught me a bit by surprise. Just a couple of little small things that added up to a big thing. Really, I'm not getting too much into it. You know, like. Uh, was that antihistamines, which apparently right. aren't very good for the heat. Right. <laughs> Before I got a bug bite. And then just it be the temperature kind of shot up on the day. I was probably underestimating the field to my ability. Um, so when the first 5K was ridiculously slow, I was like, um, there's some fast finishers here. I'm going to have to run the legs off them. Right. And then I got probably slightly impatient and went too early. And I didn't know I was two minutes up. I was just running. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't and know, then, would you? No. And then when you hit 30k, it's always tiring. So you're like, oh, I'm just, just normal marathon tiredness. <laughs> but 
And then when I came around that corner, it's a sweeping corner just before the, the corner to the bridge. Yeah, just the legs just went to jelly. The best way I can describe it is that when you've had a really good night out and you're you're pretty mm-hmm. you're pretty rubbery and then you fall over and you just can't get your balance back up. It's yeah. exactly the same thing. <laughs> exactly well, the same thing. But but way less fun preceding it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it depends so, on how you define fun, but yeah. yeah. But no, the last thing I remember was trying my best to get back on my feet and just thinking, I'll just go and if three people pass me, then I can drop out. But I don't actually remember getting to my feet and running that out that last 500 metres up the really, bridge. Yeah. Next thing I remember, I'm in an ambulance. We don't want to repeat of that. So let's not let's not <laughs> let's not no, turn no. on that. But I suppose overall, the thing to think about. I know you don't like to look back, and you you you're looking forward. But actually, there's so much in your your history and the history we spoke about today that should give you confidence going forward. So it's about taking the bits from that that can help you believe that you can get back and get rid of that question of is Callum Hawkins still running? You know, it's like you know, get yourself back. You'll you'll be back in the public eye before you know it. But it takes time and a bit of patience. Yeah, it's just it's the nature of the marathon. Even when you're fit and healthy, it takes what a minimum of sixteen weeks if you've got a good base. Mm. So it's just, and you can only do two years, so or two a year. So it's just the nature of the marathon that once you miss one, that's hence why it's three years or three years since I've I finished one. It's just you get hurt once and then you've got to move wait to the next one. It's just. Marathon has big cycles on like the track, which is why it's such a hard job to choose. Yeah, I know you've <laughs> spent months doing it, and then yeah, we called the week before. Yeah. everything out. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just desperate when that happens. But the training never leaves you, and you come back, and like I say, you're going to be back competing better than you've ever done. I'm sure. That's the hope. To be honest, I just to be fair, I just want to go back back to a place where I can be aggressive and be competitive, which. I feel based off my last one that has it's starting to come back. Yeah, great. Well, wish you all the best. Have a good uh, building of the the big base block of training. We'll see what you can do in the yeah. spring. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So there we go. What a journey he's been on, and he's not even back yet. There's a few things that I've taken out of that conversation. Five of them, in fact. We'll now just rattle through those five things. The first is the rhythm breaks happen to us all. So he's in great form just before the pandemic. And for whatever reason, whether it's the lack of treatment, lack of racing, lack of focus, luck, his rhythm was broken. And I talk about that a lot, that things can break our rhythm in our day-to-day training, stop us being consistent and stop us getting to where we want to get to. Could be illness, could be injury, could be holidays, stag do's, weddings. They're all out there. Things that break our rhythm. In Callum's case, it appeared to take a global pandemic and maybe some carbon-plated shoes to, to break his rhythm. The second thing is that when you're trying to re-establish that consistency, you need patience. Even Callum, an experienced athlete, went at it a bit too hard as he was coming back. It is easily done, but not best advised. The thing I often find myself saying to people is you'll get back quicker if you exercise patience now 
than if you try and rush. The third thing is that Callum stays in the moment. He doesn't like to look back. And you heard him say a couple of times that he's terrible with dates. And that really is evidence that he, that he doesn't think too much about what's gone. But when it happened, it's more about what's next. A focus on training and racing. And that is why he is so good at both. Just staying present, staying switched on to what's happening for him right at that moment. Probably best evidenced by his fourth place finishes in the World Championships. The fourth thing that I think was interesting in that conversation was the observations that tough Olympic qualifying standards, or too tough Olympic qualifying standards, just reduces people's motivation to reach them. If you're close, fair enough. Give it a crack, and I'm sure we'll see a few people giving it a crack. But if it's borderline, and you've got to make a big leap from, let's say, 212, to get to 208.10 is a massive ask. And it's either going to lead to people injuring themselves or becoming demotivated, or both. And that's true in life, of course. Hard to reach objectives, impossible to reach objectives, are just not motivating. But if you get it exactly right, people can be very fired up and achieve amazing things. And the fifth thing, having said all of that, is don't bet against that big aerobic engine coming back more efficient than ever. Callum is young, he's 31. It's easy to forget how young he was when he came onto the scene. Rio Olympics at the age of 24. So he's still got loads of time and perhaps the break from racing across the course of the past couple of years will actually help him in the long run. Maybe in two, three, four, maybe even five years' time we'll be looking back, which Callum doesn't like to do, and thinking that that break was useful, even if it was hard to deal with. But I guess time will tell. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. And that's all we've got for today. So thanks very much as ever for joining me, for putting up with the rambling, the rusticness and the niche nature of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, I hope it helped you get to sleep. Speak to you soon. Take care. 